You're listening to the Turn Again Ministries podcast with evangelist Aaron Pratt. Turn Again Ministries is based out of Fellowship Baptist Church in Clark Lake, Michigan, and is dedicated to bringing America back to its godly heritage. Let's prepare our hearts as evangelist Aaron Pratt brings forth God's word to us today. Well, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. I'm going to have you turn to chapter 57, and then later on in the message, um, I'm going to have you turn to a different chapter in this book. At the, end of, uh, at the end of the message, I will have you turn to a different chapter. Well, um, I guess I, I need to make this announcement before I forget, because now it's announcement time, right? Um, there's no soul winning tomorrow, so if anybody was planning to go soul winning, um, I, I won't be here. I'm going to go to Super Conference. That is, if one of my kids doesn't throw up in the middle of Taco Bell, or if I don't continue to be uh, as sick as I've been, or get sicker than I've been, I should say, um, then I will be at Super Conference Thursday. So no soul winning this week. I'm planning on having it next week meeting here at the church at about 6.15, 6.20. Well, the good news tonight is that I only have um, three pages of notes. On Sunday morning, I had seven pages of notes. Um, but that doesn't necessarily always mean anything. <laughs> Sunday morning, I preached uh, 50 minutes with seven pages of notes, but I've preached 50 minutes with one page, with one page of notes. So... Um, it just, you know, it's just the type of messages that you preach depends upon how many notes you have. So, um, I, I have to admit to you, uh, this morning, in all seriousness, this evening, in all seriousness, um, I'm preaching a message to you this, this evening that I just feel completely incapable of preaching, um, We are stepping into ground this evening that more than any other doctrine, or at least on the level of holiness, is ground that man just gets on his knees and puts his hands up in the air and says, I have no idea what I'm talking about. All right, I'm just going to be straightforward and honest with you. I am usually not quite as nervous preaching as I am this evening. And it's not because I'm fearful of those who I'm preaching to. You guys are wonderful folks to preach to. You're so receptive and you're so, you're so, most of you are so kind to me afterwards and everything. You really encourage me. You really do. Um, but it's the subject matter. We're speaking this evening on the divine transcendence of God. And it's a subject matter that is something that's indescribable. Like all of the attributes of God, it's indescribable, but it's on a whole another level. You know, we, we, can, we can associate with being present someplace, and so we can kind of be confounded enough to be floored at God's omnipresence. We, we can associate a little bit power 
one man having more power than the other and so saying that then God has infinite power. And we can even associate transcendence in a certain sense, but and what it's what is applied there, I, I don't I don't think that we could ever fully appreciate. We could never fully appreciate any of these attributes of God. But when we are approached by the divine transcendence of God in Scripture, the response of man is always the same. It is to get on his knees and cry, Woe is me, for I am undone. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King. We are speaking this evening on the divine transcendence of God, a, a subject that, as you know, we've been going through the different doctrines, different attributes of God. And if you've been in Sunday school, which as I look around here, most of you have, um, you've, you've heard me say again and again, so we're not going to go through the same introduction uh, another time, at least not this evening, um, fully. But that is, is that we are in need of revival in our churches, in Fellowship Baptist Church. I am in need of more revival in my own heart. And I know that much of what we fall short of today in our churches is a lack of knowledge of who God is. We fall short of thinking that we know who God is, but we don't really know who God is. Or we know about God, but we don't really know God. And so all of these things add together to, to where we go around and treat church and treat God and treat the Bible as if it's something that we can just add to our lives rather than being the center of our lives, rather than being the focal point of our lives, and rather than being in of and everything about our lives. I'm going to, man, I, I just pray and hope that I'm able to relate to you the things that I have been meditating on over the last several weeks, maybe a couple of months on the transcendence of God, that I, I can just give language to them and that my own heart can appreciate them a bit more. We see the divine transcendence of God intertwined with many of the attributes of God. We see it in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways uh, my ways, saith the Lord. Talking about the omniscience of God and the wisdom of God, but also then talking about the transcendence of God. You say, Brother Aaron, what is the transcendence of God? Well, we'll get to that. Let's read the Bible verses first. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15 says, Which in times past he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto. The divine transcendence of God. Whom no man hath seen nor can see, the divine transcendence of God. To whom be honor and power everlasting, amen. And where you are at in Isaiah chapter 57, I gave you the chapter this time, right? Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15, for thus saith the high and lofty one, the divine transcendence of God. 
For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you this evening that you would give me a fluid tongue, a fluid mind, that you would take these thoughts and these spiritual teachings and applications about who you are, Lord, and take these seeds for each heart here this, this evening, Lord, and grow them. I pray that, Lord. I know that that is your desire. I pray that you would bound Satan and his demons because I know that you want your people to know you more. And so I pray that we would all leave here this evening knowing you more. Pray for these things in your name. Amen. Well, when we define the word transcend or transcendence, we are talking about to go above, to rise above, to be above. We can associate that. We are creatures. We can see that these lights are above us. They're higher than us. We can see that in ranks in the military, that a five-star general is higher than a one-star general. God is spirit. He's not material. It is so nice that God relates himself and who he is to us through the material world. He uses things like, like height and depth and length. He uses those things. And, and like creature associating himself to have eyes and associating himself to have hands. Though he has no eyes and he has no hands. And he's not subject to height and he's not subject to, to length and he's not subject to depth. But he uses those things in the Bible to show us a little bit more about who he is. He does that to translate the inconceivable, the inconceivable God to man who is finite and dumb. Material comparisons mean nothing to God. They mean something to us, but they mean nothing to God. He existed before things like height existed. He existed before things like the earth and stars existed. And he was transcendent before the things like height existed. He was transcendent before comparisons like stars and the sun and the earth existed. He was always transcendent because he's immutable. So he's always been the same. His creation does not make him any more transcendent. And his creation does not make him any less transcendent. He's always been transcendent. Before there was ever any possibility for comparison. He uses these comparisons in order that he might show himself to us. Aren't you glad that God shows himself to us? Aren't you glad that God reaches down into the thoughts of the finite creatures and says, Hey, come, come up hither. I want to show you something. I want to show you a little bit something about myself. I want you to look up. I want you to look up to me. And I want to show you something. God uses physical characteristics, creature comparisons, in order that we might come to a fuller understanding of who he is. He makes the abstract more understandable. 
Because the fact is, guys, that we are finite. That means that whatever there is in us, there's always a measure of it. It doesn't go on forever. Even we have everlasting life. If you're born again, saved here this evening, you have everlasting life. That lasts forever, but it has a beginning. God's life is eternal. It doesn't have a beginning and it doesn't have an end. We are finite even in our everlasting life. But God is infinite in all ways. God uses this physical comparison of him being high and lifted up over and over and over again in the Bible in order that we might see him being superior in quality of being. You see, he uses this high and lifted up, the one who inhabiteth eternity dwelling in the high and holy place. He uses this to say not that he's off somewhere in outer space, some place that we could take a rocket ship to maybe one day and find. No, 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 that is not the comparison he's making. God is saying, listen, I am everywhere and I am still transcendent. I am right here this evening in Fellowship Baptist Church, but I am still transcendent. I am on the very floor of this, of this congregation and all around it and every part of this congregation this evening and over at Loomis Park Baptist Church this evening and over at Sycamore Baptist Church this evening and all places in the world today where men and women are gathered together in the name of Christ, I am there. And I am in every place even besides that, yet I am still the high and lifted up one. You see, we're not talking about something of height. We're not talking about God who is inhabiting heaven. That's not what we're talking about whenever we talk about God as high and lifted up. Whenever we talk about God revealing himself to be the transcendent one, we are talking about one who is superior in quality of being. And may I just say that not superior like we could compare one man to another man, but infinitely superior. It is the spirit in us that makes us significant. Look around creation, all of the things that God created, there's only one being that he created on this earth that we can see that actually has a spirit, and there's a bunch of them sitting in this auditorium this evening. You can instantly get a sense of the value of human life as, you're, as you, you can just picture a group of people gazing at the wonder of a beautiful mountain scene. How many of you have ever been to see the Rocky Mountains before. I've seen it in uh, Montana. Absolutely breathtakingly stunning. Just uh, amazing. Picture a group of people gazing on in the wonder of the Rocky Mountains or let's say the Grand Canyon. And this two-year-old girl that's accompanying them disappears. They were exclaiming how wonderful and how beautiful the sight was before their eyes. They were taking pictures and they were just fascinated of the beauty of God's creation and how God would just fashion such beautiful artwork as the sun is setting over the mountaintops. But then 
they look around and this two-year-old girl is gone. And all of a sudden, this sun setting, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity of watching the sunset that they're never again going to see just like that. It's never going to happen just like that again. That this two-year-old girl is gone. And all of a sudden... There's no more pictures being taken of the sunset. It's not this little girl can't wait. Let's watch the sunset. Let's take pictures of the sunset and we'll find her later. No, no, no human being in his right mind would ever do that. You see, that little girl, she's not as big as the mountain. She might not even be as beautiful as the mountain. I don't know, it's pretty hard for a two-year-old girl to not be as beautiful as a mountain. But there's something in that two-year-old little girl. Something intrinsic, intrinsic in that two-year-old little girl that sets her apart from everything else in God's creation. She has a spirit. She transcends God's creation. She is above God's creation. She is above the mountains that are around her. So where everybody that was gazing on in the mountains that were surrounding them just took their eyes off of the mountains and went and searched for this little girl. So there's value in all of God's creation. But there is a superior value in human life. We can consider as we're considering the transcendency of God and consider and compare a caterpillar to an archangel. Now, you and I know, as we've heard Pastor, uh, Pastor White study, that the archangel is the, most, is the highest form of angel. How high, much higher would you say an archangel is above a caterpillar? A whole lot, right? Uh, how about a piece of dirt? It's also God's creation. How much higher is a human above... A piece of dirt. How much more valuable is a human above a tree? It's not even comparable. It's not even really comparable to compare an archangel to a caterpillar. But you need to understand that those things in our minds are not comparable. But when we consider the transcendency of God, the value in who God is, is infinite, as infinitely high above the caterpillar and as infinitely as high above the human as it is above the archangel. God's intrinsic value of who he is, the essence of who he is, as as far above the caterpillar as it is above the archangel. Who God is, the essence of who he is, is as far above a piece of dirt as it is above the human life. You see, he's infinitely above us, folks. And there is no measure, there is no comparison whenever you come into the infinite. God is infinitely above us. He's transcendent. He transcends all things. We are talking about the quality of being. 
And the reason that the archangel and the caterpillar and the human and the piece of dirt and the tree and all things that we're talking about, the reason that they do not have the quality of being that God has is because all of those things fall into the same category. All of those things are finite and created. But God was not created. God has always existed. He's eternal. He's self-existent. And therefore, everything that is involved in Him, everything of who He is, transcends everything else equally, infinitely, because He is infinitely above us. Yet we live in a society or we find again and again and again through the course of human history, though we can see things about God making us in His image and see the transcendency of God, and, and God is kind enough and gracious enough to reveal Himself in little ways to us to where we can come to a little bit fuller understanding of who He is, Yet we, in our societies, even in our churches throughout human history, have come to devalue human life. I look and I, I think of the Nazis. They did some atrocious things. And I think I am just mesmerized of how a man named Adolf Hitler, who wasn't even an Armenian. Wait, Armenian, right? I said that wrong. Armenian, who wasn't even an Armenian, came into Italy and took over and blinded those people to commit the most atrocious things. I don't understand that. And some of those men were just astounded by the deep crimes that they committed against humanity after they had done it. Thinking, what in the world did I do? How could I have done this? And I, listen, make no mistake about it, I'm not making excuses for them. I'm just wondering at how somebody could, could take that much control over people to have them commit the most heinous acts against humanity that in our recollection of recorded events in history, there's never been anything worse done. I don't understand how just because somebody is a Jew, they become a guinea pig. I don't understand how anybody can be convinced that that's okay. In a society where the Bible is propped up and God's transcendency is lifted up on high, that is impossible, my brothers and sisters. But you create a society that says there is no God, there is no right and wrong, only what the government says is right or wrong then you have a society that creates the very foundation that can create the most heinous acts against mankind. That says there is no difference between the tree out there and human life. That says, as a friend said to me a long time ago when I was in high school, that, that the, the baby inside of a mother's womb is no more than a bunch of cells that you can just slough off your hands. 
My brothers and sisters, this is society that you and I are living in today. And we look at the, the heinous acts that those did in Germany in the World War II era and the things that Hitler did to take control of Germany in the World War II era. But we're not that much far behind them, folks. When we have a society that's devaluing God, when we have even churches that are bringing God down to their level and taking God and perverting his attributes and perverting who who he actually is and taking him down from a transcendent God and lifting him down to human kind and creature forms my soul we are in trouble my brothers and sisters when we have public schools and even Christians believing that we were farmed through evolution and taking God almost completely out of the mix in their daily lives, becoming, as it said, practical atheists. Meaning that they might believe that there's a God, but he's as far absent in their lives as though there might as well not be a God for them. We have a society, the culture of the United States of America, with its changing in liberalism and progressivism and in this modernistic tendency and this flow of, of, of what we see in the United States of America, taking us into devalue human life because we see that there's no greater value in a human life than there is in a pig's life because if we're, one thing is evolved from the next, then we're all basically equal in their eyes. There is then no spirit in man because you can't put spirit on a test tube and you can't analyze it on a graph because you can't scientifically write it down in a textbook then it must not be true and this is the society that we live in the society like that my brothers and sisters is in a grave danger of committing the same kinds of atrocious acts against mankind as Adolf Hitler. And may I dare say that we in the United States of America, we may not put people as, as test dummies in scientific labs, but we certainly kill the unborn children in mother's wombs every single day. And we vote for people in office just because they have an R after their name to fund those who would kill unborn children. My soul, the devaluing of human life, what I'm trying to say, my brothers and sisters, is directly connected to the transcendency of God. You see, if you see that there's an essence, an intrinsic value in who God is that is as high above, as high above, as, as infinitely high above us, then you know that we were created in this image and there is something that is in us, something called a spirit in us that has intrinsic value. You think of a bit of news that's been in, being much talked about lately, happening over in the UK. A little boy by the name Alfie having medical issues, two years old. Socialized government, socialized medicine government says that we need to pull the plug on this kid because he costs too much to keep alive. 
parents fight in court. Parents have the option to move him to Italy to actually get him medical care. Parents fight in court. They're denied in court to take their own son, their flesh and blood, and get him help. Standing guard at the door to make sure that they don't resuscitate their son, to make sure that they don't give him oxygen. They've been trying to give him oxygen, trying to help him breathe. Make sure that they don't feed their child. Standing guard at the door to make sure that they don't feed their child. And I was thinking this afternoon as I, as I heard some of these political pundits pontificate about all of this and, and saying, well, well, this is all about control or this is all about socialized medicine. And I believe that those things are true, but that's not the heart of the matter. That is not the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is that the UK is a godless society. And in any godless society, that's where you will eventually end up. And the United States of America is becoming increasingly, it's becoming more and more a godless society. And you and I are not far down the road from the UK. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 16 says, Who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, who, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. God dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto. He's transcendent. He's not a, a God that, that we could approach to like you could approach Buddha. He's not anything like us. He's so high above us and so far different from us that we can't even fathom what He is. We could never even approach Him. His being and His essence is so bright. Uh, just like with every other doctrine or attribute of God, whether it be His omnipotence or His omniscience or His sovereignty or even the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith, there are perversions of this doctrine, even amongst our Christian brothers and sisters. There's one side of this sphere that says, because God is transcendent, because, as Isaiah 57, 15 says, for thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite spirit, because this God is high and lofty, because He's inhabiting eternity, because He's holy, He must therefore be separated from mankind. There's this teaching out there. That He cannot communicate with mankind, that He cannot interact with mankind, that making Christians practical deists. If you were to go and read after some authors, some authors that might even be highly... Uh, highly regarded in some of our spheres, they would paint God in his transcendency in a way in which a deist would paint God. That is, that God just simply created this and set the scene in motion and then spun the world around and created life and said, okay, now they're sinful because I'm holy. I'm going to step back and I'm going to distance myself from them. That is not the God that we serve. That is not the transcendency of God. You can see again and again in Scripture, 
God speaking with himself and saying, let us go down and examine what's going on in the days of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. Let us go down and see. You cannot escape the fact that Jesus Christ, being God manifest in the flesh, communicated with mankind on a daily basis and was crucified taking the sins of man on himself. That's not a God who's so far separated from the sinfulness of mankind that he can't even be in the presence of it. That is not what the transcendency of God is teaching. There's another end of the sphere. There's another end of the sphere of this teaching of the transcendency of God that adopts many of the same teachings of a pantheist or a Buddhist. The pantheist says that the tree out there is God. That the chair that you're sitting in is God. That the shoes that you walk on is God. That the cows that gaze in the field, that they're, they're gods and, and that you are a god as well. That everything and all things are gods and so we can all just come together because we're, we're all gods. There's a modern day teaching in some Christian circles that because God is omnipresent and he is everywhere and he's intimately inside of everything and everything that exists, that God then must be everything, that that tree out there is God and that you, therefore, are God. And then there's another teaching infiltrated by Buddhism that says that because of the omnipresence of God and because of the filling of the Holy Ghost, having God inside of you, that you are indeed actually a little God. That there is God, but then you are actually God. That you are God walking around here on this earth. I see some of the reactions on your faces, but I've actually had somebody recently tell me this. Who was supposed to be a fundamental Bible-believing Christian. Mixing many of what he said with things that... that anyway, I won't, I won't get into all of that. To say that God, that you, because you have the Holy Ghost inside of you, that you are God, is an utter blasphemy that is beyond measure and disgrace to the transcendency of God. It is offensive. It is offensive to any Bible-believing Christian because that is what the Bible warns about, and it is most certainly, I cannot imagine how offensive it is to a holy God. You be very careful of the preachers that you listen to. And you exalt this book. You exalt this book above any preaching that you listen to. And it's all not going to make sense. It's not all going to make sense. You can spend eternity trying to figure out who God is. It's never going to make sense to a finite mind completely, but you just keep at it, and you just believe, thus saith the Lord, regardless of what sense that it makes. God is transcendent. You're not God. 
God is transcendent. The tree is not God. Just because God is omnipresent, and just because God is with us here in this auditorium here this evening, and just because God is in you because you are a spirit-filled Christian, or are at least anointed with the Holy Ghost after salvation, just because you have God in you doesn't make you God. Yet God places in our hearts a desire to make it possible to know him, the transcendent one, in some little measure. That is amazing, my brothers and sisters. He doesn't have to do that. He's transcendent. So far above me and you. Yet as Isaiah 57 verse 15 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who also is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Transcendence should teach us to want to know an unknowable and unsearchable God. We ought to get excited about doctrine, folks, not get, not get bored with it. And this is the problem of a lack of revival in our churches, is that we just hear doctrine like this, the transcendence of God, the omnipresence of God, the omnipotence of God. And we take that and we say, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know. Never realizing that those are the ways in which we can get to know God personally and to know God intimately. It should teach us the transcendence of God, that God would, would come down into our hearts and give us a desire and an ability to in some measure know him. This ought to give us a drive to want to know him more, to spend time in our personal devotions, to spend time meditating and memorizing scripture, to spend time coming to church and falling yourself prostrate before a holy, incomprehensible, transcendent God. Yeah, we Christians, instead of getting busy knowing God, we are busy about nothing all the time. I preach to myself. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, watching, playing sports, watching sports, watching movies in an endless array, array of distractions that distract us from those things that are actually important, actually have weight for eternity. And listen, there's nothing wrong with those things in a certain measure. You guys understand the balance of what I'm talking about. But I don't think that we're in danger in our present day society of being too much of cutting those things out. We live in a day where Christians would rather hear a fluffy, feel-good message than a doctrinal message that would give you some practical way in which you can express the God that is in you. Doctrine has become unimportant to us. We look at the transcendence of God as something that is unimportant and unpractical. I'm giving you ways in which it is very practical, Christian. The transcendence of God should teach us to fear Him. 
The, the transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. Sunday morning, Sunday school, we talked about the omnipresence of God. That God is everywhere and that the very fact that God is everywhere and that his eyes see you ought to bring a conviction in your heart to not commit those secret sins. Yet Christians ignore the omnipresence of God and then commit those secret sins anyway. The reason that the Christian is able to ignore, knowing that God sees them, feeling the conviction in their heart, but ignoring it anyway and committing those sins against an omnipresent God is because they do not have a fear in their, of God in their eyes because they do not see Him as transcendent. When men do not fear God, they transgress without hesitation. Fear of consequences is no deterrent in his heart. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Yeah, we Christians, we so often, we don't see the, the judgment speedily executed in our lives. And so we begin to think that that's not true. We stop fearing God. We stop seeing him as the high and lofty one, the high and lifted up one, the holy one, and we don't even care. God help us. Transcendence should teach us our insufficiency in the Christian life. We've tend to limit God in our churches these days through programs, the exaltation of men, the attraction of games and entertainment, this self-help book after that self-help book instead of the greatest of all self-help books. Not lifting God up, but lifting other men up. Not lifting God up, but hey, come and listen to our worship band and, and come and play these games and come and watch this movie and maybe we can attract the world through their own devices. A church that recognizes the transcendence of God says, I'm just going to do it God's way and trust Him to bring the results. A, a Christian who recognizes the transcendency of God says, I'm insufficient. There's no way that I can bring about the work of God. There's no way that I can do things to bring about the work of God. It must be all of Him and through Him. It could not be about my own sweat and effort and tears, about this clever program, about this man, about this game, about this entertainment, about this self-help books. Yet you and I, we can say amen to that. But so often, my brothers and sisters, we get so self-sufficient in our Christian lives that we don't ever need God or think that we need God until problems arise. And if we saw God as transcendent, high and lifted up, it would teach us that we are indeed insufficient. Insufficient even in the minus, minutest details of life. That we see in so many Christians a levity and disrespect for the name of God. 
Christians even taking the name of the Lord in vain. Christians even taking church services and things like that as a light thing. As if we're just here, my brothers and sisters, to to have fun. You're here to worship the transcendent God. You're here to hear preaching out of a book that is brought to you in order to bring you to a greater knowledge of the transcendency of God. This is no minor thing, my brothers and sisters. Eternity weighs in the balance on what it is that we're describing to you here this evening because if you get a hold of this, if you somehow get a hold of the transcendency of God, it will change your life like it has for every other soul who has been encountered with a God that was high and lifted up. Consider Moses seeing God in a burning bush and he gets on his knees and he says, I can't do this, Lord. Whereas years before, 40 years before, he thought to take control of Israel out, of the, out, under, the thumb of Israel, out under the thumb of Pharaoh by himself. Consider Ezekiel seeing Something that he, you get the sense that he just simply didn't have words to describe it. As he said, this was like that. And this was like that. And as he's painting this picture, you get something that's very fuzzy. And you're like, wow. I have no idea what he's talking about. And I think he was trying to say, listen, I saw the Lord God high and lifted up. And I can't describe it to you. You think of Daniel. For I was left alone and saw this great vision and there remained no strength in me for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words and when I heard the voice of his words then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground, and behold, an hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands, and he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto you, unto thee, and stand upright. For unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Saul, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, a light which no man can approach unto. There shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, What wilt thou have me to do? And he said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. In the year that Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wains. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then I said, I, woe is me. For I am undone, 
Because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. God is so far high above you, you cannot comprehend it. He's not here for you to take and use him whenever you think that it's fit to take and use him. He's not a tool. He's the transcendent God. I wonder, Christians, as you sit here this evening, how many of you have ever been truly in your heart struck with the transcendent one? You got on your knees and you cried, Woe is me. What wilt thou have me to do? And Christian, if you're sitting here this evening and you've never been there, and be honest about it in your hearts, because there was a time for each of us where we all were never there. There was a time where you've Never been there, a period of time in your life or a moment in your life where you realized the Lord God high and lifted up and he showed you something special about himself and he spoke into your heart and you realized in your dust cloth and ashes and you realized in your insufficiencies, you said, woe is me for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eye has seen the King Lord. What wilt thou? have me to do. You see, you cannot be fully prepared for Christian service until your eyes have seen the King. You cannot do as much for the glory of God that will last for all eternity until you get to that moment where you've seen the Lord as the transcendent one. Please stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklay.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.